It's such a great honor to be here. Open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I know you're currently in Thessalonians, and so I made sure it was okay with uh, Pastor Rich that I dove into this uh, particular text this morning. Something that's uh, very familiar to many of us. I'm sorry, all the time I spent back there preparing myself, I did everything but open my Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. But I'm there now. Uh, We're going to read together beginning uh, in verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, the King James says, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the elders. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly, meaning entirely to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Let's pray together again. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you a bit this morning in in song, corporate praise, just giving back to you in some small measure that which you've given to us that cannot be measured. And now, Lord, our worship continues as we with prepared hearts look into your word and desire that we would be instructed this Hour by the Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us, we pray. Open the eyes of our hearts uh, that we would get a clear sense of what the Spirit is saying to the church. Cause my words this morning to be yours, words of direction and instruction and encouragement. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't yet know you in a real and a personal way through faith in your Son, Jesus, may Today be the day of salvation for him or her. That's our prayer, Lord. Hear us as we agree together uh, in the name of your son for his great glory. And everyone agreeing said, Amen. Amen. If you notice in verse 12 again, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. Now, I've been in pastoral ministry as a vocation for more than 30 years. And uh, during that time, excuse me, <coughs> I've observed that by nature, most of us, hold on, I'm going to shut this off here. Much better already. Most of us, if not all of us, excel at explaining away why it is that we don't seem to do the things that we know we ought to do, uh, why we don't follow through in those areas where we know that we should. Perhaps you've noticed. We always seem to have an excuse to offer. We always seem to have some reason or some rationale where we're not seeming to accomplish that which God desires of us. Now, maybe you hear that this morning and that, uh, that strikes a chord with you. Uh, please, uh, don't despair. Uh, because the truth is, uh, we're in very good company. Many of the great men of the Bible were great Excuse givers. Uh, We begin with Moses. Uh, We won't take the time to talk about Moses and and what happened to him at his birth and what the conditions were and how it was that his mother and his father, in an effort to spare his life, 
constructed the little ark and, and lined it with pitch and sent him down the Nile. And, and then Pharaoh's daughter had compassion upon him as she heard him cry and brought him into her house. And he was raised uh, in Pharaoh's house, uh, prepared to be uh, the successor to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, I just said I wasn't going to say that, and I just did. So uh, you better buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride this morning because I can't be trusted. <laughs> but of course, Moses, sensing that he, was, um, th- that he was a man upon whom the hand of God was resting, he went ahead of the Lord, right? And, and he saw the Egyptian taskmaster mistreating uh, the Jewish slave. And so he intervened and he killed the Egyptian and he buried his body in the sand. And then when he was found out, he, uh, he quickly vacated Egypt and he spent the next uh, 40 years in graduate school, University of the Backside of the Desert, UBSD. And then at the end of that period of time, God spoke to him from a burning bush and informed him that he was to go to Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let God's people, the children of Israel, go. And how did Moses respond? He answered and he said, Lord, I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. In other words, he says, I stutter, especially when I get excited. But the Lord answered Moses and he says, Moses, who has made man's mouth? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. So, Then there was Gideon. Gideon, hail thou mighty man of valor, said the Lord as he, in a pre-incarnate appearance of himself, in a Christophany, he meets Gideon while he's threshing grain, not at the threshing floor, which would normally have been uh, on a hillside, the highest point in the area, but rather behind the cover of his father's winepress because he was terrified of the Midianites. And the Lord appears to him and he says, Hail thou mighty man of valor, the Lord is with thee. And Gideon said, If the Lord is with us, then why has this evil befallen us? And from there the Lord commissioned Gideon to be a judge in Israel. He who would deliver Israel from the oppressive control of the Midianites. And Gideon responded and he said, Behold, my family is poor In the tribe of Manasseh. And I am least in my father's house. In other words, he says, I'm of the most insignificant family. In the most insignificant tribe in all of Israel. And I'm the most insignificant member of that family. You cannot possibly mean me. But of course the Lord did uh, mean that. And. And the Lord, if you read through the story there, we're told that the Lord put on Gideon in the same way that you and I might put on a coat or put on a suit of armor. The Lord put on Gideon. And and the Lord, through Gideon, uh, destroyed the Midianites. And then there was a young man named Jeremiah. And he was commissioned of God to preach a message of repentance to a nation Uh, that had fallen into horrible apostasy and idolatry. 
And Jeremiah responded to the Lord by saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am but a child. And the Lord said, Say not, I am a child, for before I formed thee in thy mother's belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth from the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee to be a prophet to the nations. And so that brings us back to our text where we find another young man, a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And it seems that Timothy, like Jeremiah, was using the rationale or the reasoning, perhaps better, the excuse that he was too young to answer the call of God upon his life, to which Paul, by the Spirit, says to Timothy, Timothy, despise not thy youth. Now here's the point. Timothy was arguing that he was too young. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, listen, I'm too young uh, to be used of God in any significant way or to any significant degree. Well, then, listen, the Lord this morning by the Spirit would say to you, despise not thy youth, but rather be thou an example of the believer. Now, you would say, well, youth isn't my problem. My problem is I feel like I'm too old to be used of the Lord in any significant way to any significant degree. Okay, then how about Caleb? Caleb, who at 85 years of age made the, the marvelous declaration when the time came after the initial conquest of the land of Canaan and the time came then for Joshua to divide the land uh, by tribe and by family, then Caleb came to Joshua and reminded Joshua of something that Moses had promised to Caleb 45 years earlier. And he said to Joshua, I am as strong today at, at four score and five as I was then, 45 years earlier at the age of 40. He said, therefore, give me Hebron. Give me the hill country. Give me that land that caught my eye all those years ago. And, and of course, the thing about Hebron is it was in Hebron where the giants were entrenched. And Caleb, full of faith, even at 85 years of age, says, you give me the hill country. You give me Hebron. You give me fellowship. That's what the word Hebron meant, fellowship. This man whose name meant wholehearted at 85 years of age, still on fire for the Lord. He said, you give me that area where the enemy is entrenched that I might enjoy fellowship, my, my reward with the Lord. So that begs the question this morning, what? reasoning might you be tempted to offer the Lord? What rationale might you uh, present to the Lord as a way of explaining away your failure to respond to the call that he has upon your life? Now, here's the thing. This is one of those issues or one of those areas where it's inclusive of all of us. Yes, Paul, by the Spirit, is speaking to Timothy, the young pastor, but in a much greater sense, in the same way that we've all received the same great commission, being born again of the Spirit, now we've been told to go and to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Well, in the same way, every one of us will find ourselves here in that we all are called to the ministry of being an example of the believer. Uh, before a lost and dark and rotting world. And, and if you would say, well, listen, I'm too old. Well, well, I would 
point you to Caleb. And if you would say, but I'm too young, well, then I would point you to Jeremiah or I'd point you back to Timothy. If you would say, but listen, um, I'm not properly prepared. I don't have any formal training or education. Oh, really? Okay. Well, then I would point you, uh, the scriptures would point us to Peter and John. Uh, Peter and John, we find their story in Acts chapter 4 after the healing of the lame man at the gate beautiful. This man who had been lame from birth and there at the gate beautiful, he's willing, remember, he's willing to settle for just a couple of coins in his cup. And we're told that, that Peter being filled with the Spirit, that word filled, freshly filled, renewed by the Spirit. Peter being filled with the Spirit and John with him fastened his eyes upon the man and he said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I freely give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he rose up and, and he began leaping and hopping and praising God and a multitude of people gathered there at the temple on that day and it gave Peter an opportunity to preach Christ crucified. You remember? And 3,000 additional souls were added to the kingdom that day. And so the Jewish religious leaders went wild and gave glory to God. Not no, they, they placed Peter and John under arrest, didn't they? And then the next day, they appeared before the Sanhedrin because the Sanhedrin wanted to know by what authority they did what they did and, and said what they said. And then Peter delivered. Once again, we're told Peter being filled with the Spirit, freshly filled, then he boldly defended the, the message of the gospel. And, and in the end of it all, the crescendo was Jesus, whom you crucified. And so the end of it was, all right, you guys can't do any more preaching or any more teaching in the name of this Jesus. And they answered and they said, well, whether or not we should obey you and no longer preach Jesus, we're going to let you work that out. But for us, uh, we can't help but preach Jesus, for we must obey God rather than men, right? And so here's, here's the end of it all. We're told that these religious leaders, when they saw that Peter and John were filled with boldness and perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned, meaning untrained men, they marveled at them and took notice of them. That they had been with Jesus. And here's the great thing today. By a work of the Spirit in each of our own lives, you and I, we can be with Jesus. Every moment of every day. And hopefully, hopefully, you're spending time with him uh, each day. From my perspective, the best time to spend with the Lord is to spend time with the Lord in the morning before your day begins. Uh, but just that you would spend time with the Lord sometime during the day. Of course, throughout the day, you'd remember the Lord. But the whole point is that people in just observing your life and how you live, that they too would marvel and take note of you, that you have been with Jesus. We should live our lives in such a way as Christians so that when someone else discovers that we're a Christian, they're not surprised. 
They don't say, what? They're a Christian? But instead they'd say, oh, of course. They're a Christian. Now it all makes perfect sense. Back to the point. It doesn't matter what reasoning or rationale you might present to the Lord this morning. Uh, whether you would say, well, listen, I'm single. And if I was only married, then I'd really answer the call of God upon my life. Well, listen, I, I, I served on the staff of uh, Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California with Pastor Greg Laurie uh, for several years. And one of my responsibilities there was overseeing the single adults. And I had more than 600 needy Single people. Whiny. If you're single here, please don't take offense. That, that was not their issue. That was my issue, okay? But, but here's what they'd say, because we're trying to exhort and encourage them from the scriptures. It says that the man who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he might please his wife. And, and uh, the reciprocal of that is how a wife, a, a wife married to a husband, uh, might please and serve her husband, whereas the individual, male or female, who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord and how they might serve the Lord. So we tried to get them to maximize their singleness for that season of their lives and serve the Lord with gladness. And many of them would say, oh, you see, if, if I was only married then. Yeah, but you know what? I did a lot of marriage and family counseling there, and I can tell you the married people would say to me, oh, if I was only single. And it's just how it is. So you can't say, well, I'm single or I'm married. You might say, well, I'm divorced. I'm damaged goods. Listen, listen. In the end, there's no valid reason or rationale that any of us can offer the Lord for not responding to this simple call and challenge for our lives to be an example of the believer in word, in conduct, in love and faith, in spirit, and impurity. You know, the world is in a terrible, terrible strait today. Have you noticed? Socially, economically, geopolitically, spiritually, people all over the world this hour are in trouble. And many of them are desperately searching for hope. And they are looking for answers. And as Christians, we don't claim to have an answer. We claim to have the answer to the world's ills in the person of Jesus. And as a result, the world is watching us. Uh, case in point, think about those two healthcare workers, now a third, who went to serve the Lord in Africa, specifically in Liberia. They contracted. Ebola. By the way, just a little side note, a little caveat. Are you familiar with the story of breakout, uh, the Ebola breakout that happened at Hazleton Labs? And, you know, they, they made a documentary about it. And it turned out in the end, it was not this same strain of Ebola. It was another strain. But under the microscope, they looked so similar that they were very afraid that right there in Reston, Virginia... Uh, there, there was this horrible outbreak that they were afraid they couldn't contain, um, surrounded by tens of thousands of people. Well, where that Ebola breakout happened is right where the church uh, building was. We actually bought the building. 
uh, they tore the original one down, then they built another one in the same place. And uh, we, I was one of the first human beings to go inside Hazleton Labs after they had boarded it up and, and uh, didn't know quite what to do with it. And uh, so I, I was one of the first guys to go in there with our realtor, and we were trying to acquire the property. Um, but then I ended up with this huge lump on my back, and, and I started growing a third eyeball. I just made that up. Uh, anyway, they, they tore it down. But, but it's called the monkey. You know, people talk about the monkey building. Well, Harvest Christian Fellowship, now Calvary Chapel of Reston Station there in Virginia. Uh, it is the monkey building. So uh, don't move away from Danville. They're not radioactive, I promise you. Uh, the, the point is that we're to be an example of the believer because the world is watching us. Those, those two healthcare workers in particular, both believers. The world was so curious about their story, right? And they understood they were Christians because that became a part of the story. But the greater story is what happens after uh, they return back to the U.S. and recover. And then they have an opportunity to tell their story more completely. And, and people are marveling at that, aren't they? How it is that, that they would so willingly, so gladly risk their lives. You know, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for another. And, and the world marvels at that. The world is looking at you today. It, when we talk about the world, don't make sure that, you're, that, that you don't keep it too impersonal. You've got to ask yourself today, who is watching your life up close and personal? And I'll tell you who it is. It's your unsaved family members, your unsaved neighbors, your unsaved co-workers. These people may never walk through those doors into this auditorium. You've heard it said before. I'll say it again. Your life might be the only Bible that some of these people ever read. And so I wonder, as people read your life, are they going to see, from reading your life, are they going to see that Jesus is who you claim Jesus to be? As he's modeled in your life, will they find that Jesus is indeed the answer to all that troubles you? The world is watching. As Christians, like it or not, we are marked men and women. And if you think not, just be around a non-believer and, and color outside the lines, so to speak, and then watch what happens. They'll say, hey, hey, I thought you were a Christian. You see, a non-believer always knows how a Christian is supposed to behave, don't they? So the world is watching. That's the point. We're to be an example of the believer. Now, this word example, the Greek word is tupos. And uh, it, it can be used in, in a couple of different ways. When it's used in a medical context, it, it describes a visible scar. And so I have visible scars uh, on my body in several different places that are the remnants of surgical procedures that I've had. There's a story behind every one of those scars. And if you're scarred for whatever reason, whether you were cut open by a surgeon's scalpel or or you, you, you got hit with a piece of shrapnel, or you were attacked by a weed whip. <laughs> You've got a scar, and behind that scar, there's a story. Now, when it's used in the context in which it's used here, that word tupos means uh, to stamp. 
Uh, it means to create a form or to create an outline, to create an image that can be traced. Uh, we had these uh, coloring books when our children were young, and now our children have children of their own. And you, if you're in that situation, you have young children or, or your grandparents, you know, you, they uh, periodically in these coloring books, they'll have just a, a clear piece of tracing paper. And it gives the child an opportunity to trace the image that's behind it. Then they can pick from the image that's on the left side of that, or they can turn it over to the right side, and they can trace that image. And, and it's the same idea here. It, it's, it's, an, it's an image to be traced or to be followed. It's to leave behind something that can be duplicated. This is the kind of an example that we're to be. And, and we're to be example, uh, an example in, in, in six specific areas of our lives. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. We want to take a look at each of these as we go. And so I can see from the clock on the wall, we're going to have to go very quickly. Uh, the first is we're to be an example of the believer in word. We're to be an example of the believer in word, in everything we say and by everything we say. Ephesians 4 verse 29 uh, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Other translations, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good unto edification. The New American Bible inserts there according to the need of the moment that it might minister grace to the ears of the hearers. Hey, honestly, sometimes the best thing to say is to say nothing at all. But the question for us is asking ourselves, do our words build up? Do our words impart life and blessing? Or do our words attack and tear down and destroy? Because if they do and as they do, in addition of running the risk of destroying someone's reputation, you know, people's reputations are wrecked uh, by a careless word spoken in a conversation on a daily basis. For a man to lose his character, is, it was said, is to be dead among the living. Does our speech build up? Does it bless? Does it impart life? Or does it produce the opposite? Then, in addition to that, if, if we may destroy a relationship between ourselves or another, or, or we may torch someone's uh, reputation... But we're also at the same time, we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. The next verse says, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Careless speech. In addition to all the other damage it can do. Oh, see what a great forest such a tiny spark sets ablaze. James 3 talking about the tongue says. In addition to all the damage a careless word spoken can do, we also grieve the Holy Spirit. And honestly... If there's one thing I don't want to do in my life and with my life or through my life, it's grieve God. So I'm to be an example of the believer in word, in my speech. A study of linguistics was conducted by the Claremont Colleges. Uh, it was published, their study was published uh, under the heading Sociolinguistic Variations. That's your tax dollars at work. Thank you very much, taxpaying Americans. 
But, but here's what they concluded. Uh, through the course of this study, they concluded that they could determine where a people, where a person was from within a 300-mile radius simply by listening to their accent and by listening to the vocabulary that they employed. The illustration for this is Peter. Remember Peter when he's warming his hands around uh, the fire after Jesus had been arrested and he's in the house of the high priest and Peter's there and he's warming his hands. And, and they, to the first time they say, you, surely you were with him. And, and he says, I, I tell you, I don't know the man. And then a second time, uh, no, you, you were with him. Uh, certainly, you're, no, I tell you, I don't know the man. And then a third time, they said, surely you were with him. You are a Galilean for your speech betrayeth you, right? And then, er, 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 when Peter vehemently denied that he even knew the Lord, he cursed and said, I tell you, I don't know the man. Er, er. And then we're told that at that moment, they were leading Jesus across the courtyard and the eyes of Peter met the eyes of Jesus. And it was at that moment that just as Jesus said, Satan had been asking for him by name to sift him as wheat. And in that moment, that's when it happened. Can you imagine the heart of Peter at that point in time? We're told that he went out and he wept bitterly. The point is that his speech betrayed him. People are going to tell very quickly where you're coming from simply by listening to what you say and how you say it. Out of the abundance of a man's heart does he speak, Jesus said. So what's really in our hearts is going to come out of our mouths at one time or another. And you know that happens. You get surprised by something and then something comes out and you wish that you could catch it and just stuff it back in there. And you're so embarrassed, sometimes even ashamed, and you say, where did that come from? It's the overflow of your heart. That's where it came from. So we're to be an example of the believer in speech. Do you often speak critical things or negative things or harsh or hurtful or unloving things? As a Christian, you're... Your conversation, my, my words, they should be marked by thanksgiving and praise. So we're to be an example of the believer in word. Secondly, we're to be an example of the believer, you'll notice the King James says, in conversation. The Greek word anastrophe means whole conduct or, or behavior or lifestyle. In other words, as a believer, I'm to be an example in, with, and through my lifestyle. Now, we live uh, in a culture that is bent on pursuing a lifestyle of pleasure and indulgence. Would you agree? And the advertisers know this, and that's why they launch these clever ad campaigns to exploit that in our lives. They come up with these uh, clever ad campaigns like, you deserve a break today, right? Or, or then there's this one, the, the Nike slogan, just do it. Now, I don't know about you, but periodically there's this there's this voice I hear from somewhere back in this area. And, and it says to me, maybe someone has said something to me and I, wanna, I just want to respond in a particular way. And I hear this little voice saying, go ahead, do it. Do it. Oh, come on, just do it. And then I do it. And then I hear that same little voice say, now you did it. <laughs> right? And, then, and you call yourself a Christian. So listen, again, people are watching. They're watching our lives. We live in a world that, as, as the, the slogan 
said, you know, you only go around once in life, gotta grab for all the gusto you can, right? Yet, for you and I as believers, we're told, I like it from the King James, Philippians 3.20, it says, our conversation is in heaven. Now, our citizenship is in heaven, as it's translated in many of your uh, Bibles this morning, but our conversation is in heaven. To me, it reminds us that I am to be an individual who is living a heavenly-minded life. Colossians says, and it begins uh, with the preposition if. If ye then be risen uh, with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your affections on things above, not on things upon the earth. And then it tells us why. For your dead in your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, if, the preposition if, that sounds like a question, right? It's questioning. If then you be risen with Christ. But you're well taught here. Pastor Rich sees to that. And you likely know that in some instances, the preposition if can be interchanged with the preposition since. So instead of it being asking a rhetorical question, all of a sudden now it becomes a declarative statement. And it's saying, since you've been risen with Christ. Positionally, you and I, if we're in Christ, we're already seated together in the heavenlies in Christ. Positionally, we're there. And therefore, we're to live our lives and act accordingly. We're ambassadors. We're representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're representing our king and his kingdom to this dark and lost and dying world. His reputation is on display in our lives. And therefore, we need to take great care to see to it that we maintain it and that we never stain it. We're to be an example of the believer in our conduct, in our lifestyle. If our affections are set upon the things of this life, we're going to experience a life full of disappointment, full of disillusionment, full of frustration. Because the best that the world has to offer will never ever satisfy us. At best it will only pacify us and we'll find ourselves coming back to that same thing again and again. Just like, just like Samson. You know, we, we hear the story, Samson slays the lion with his bare hands and we think, oh, Samson, what a man. Yeah, but wait a minute. Where was Samson? In a vineyard. Wasn't Samson under a Nazarite vow from his birth, from, from the time he was in his mother's womb? Yes, he was. And part of that vow was, you don't, you don't, you don't even go near a vineyard. You never drink the fruit of the vine. You don't eat the fruit of the vine. Therefore, you shouldn't even go near it. But where's Samson? He's walking through a vineyard. So haven't you ever wondered where that lion came from? I think the Lord sent that lion to say, Samson, what are you doing? Why are you here? So Samson, of course, he slays the lion with his bare hand. Then he goes down to Timoth. He has an illicit relationship uh, with a woman. And then on his way back, what does he do? He stops by the carcass of that dead lion. And, and he reaches inside. What does he find? Honey. He went back to a dead thing looking for a little sweetness. We do the same thing. We're not careful. Some of us, if we'll be honest, some of us have King Agag hidden in a cave, just like King Saul did. He was commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites completely. But what did he do? He and his people kept the best of the livestock and they left the king alive and they hid him in the cave. And that's representative of secret sin. You know, we don't ever intend to go to the cave 
But sometimes we get near the cave and we knock on the, hey, Agag, are you in there? Everything all right? <laughs> and we, we don't want ever intend to let him out, but then we're just going to take a little peek in there. And that, that's how it is. We're, we need to be serious about those things because we'll, if, if not, if we don't put them to death, if we don't crucify our flesh with our passions and desires, then we'll find ourselves going back to a dead thing over and over and over again. Jesus said it to the woman at the well, right? He said to her, he that drinks of this water, meaning something that had its source naturally, he that drinks of water that comes out of the ground will thirst again. He says, but he that drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. For the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. And by that time, he had piqued her interest and she said, sir, give me this water that I no longer come here to draw. And Jesus said, all right, go call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. No, you don't. You've had five. And you're currently living with a man who's not your husband. But I appreciate your honesty, he said. At that point, she wants to deflect the whole thing, doesn't she? She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Where should we worship? You know, you Jews say in Jerusalem, we Samaritans say right here in this place, we've got our own temple, you've got your temple. And Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is. When they that worship God shall worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and listen to how she answered. She said, sir, I know, I perceive you're a prophet. And then, and then she answered that and she said, uh, she said, I know that Messiah is coming and when he comes, he'll tell us everything. So here's the point. She had religion. She believed the right things about the right things, but she still was dry, wasn't she? Spiritually, she was parched. And she knew Messiah was coming. And then he said, I that speak am I, I that speak unto thee am, am he. I, I'm him. And what did she do? She left her water pot and she went into her village, communicating two things. First of all, she wasn't thirsty anymore. <laughs> and secondly, she was coming back because that water pot would have great, was of great value. But she had to go and tell others what Jesus had done for her. And it seems in no time at all, her life was so radically transformed that nearly that entire village on the strength of her simple testimony, come meet a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Surely this is the Messiah. And on the strength of, of her obviously and apparently changed life, nearly that entire village came to faith. The world is watching. They're watching your life. They're observing, observing the places uh, that you go to, the things that you do uh, to find satisfaction. And, and as somebody's doing that, what are they going to see? If people followed the example of your lifestyle, where would it lead them? Where to be an example of the believer in lifestyle, making the kingdom of God and the pursuit of heaven our priority. So we're to be an example of the believer in word, secondly, in lifestyle, thirdly, in love. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. We can have great spiritual discernment to understand spiritual mysteries. We can have a great command and knowledge of the scriptures. We can have faith to remove mountains of trials and difficulties that we might come up hard against. And yet, and yet we're told, unless, without love. In other words, 
unless we are clearly manifesting in and through our lives the life and the character of Jesus, it's all worthless. We're to be an example of the believer in love. As most of you know, that word love uh, is taken from the Greek word agape. Agape is the only word in the Bible that's used to describe God without any further qualification or without any additional explanation or amplification. 1 John 4, 8, it says very simply, very succinctly, God is love. God is love. And we're told in Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love. And then love manifests itself through the attributes of joy, peace, patient long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and temperance, which is self-control. Having the ability to control our, our emotions and our appetites and our ambitions instead of those things controlling us. To be an example of the believer in love, to manifest a Christ-like character. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. By your what? Yeah, he didn't say by your constant bickering one with another. Or, or with your continually, or your continual uh, competition one against another. He said, but they'll know you're my, you're my disciples by your love one for another. Now, granted, uh, we, we love our friends and we love our families and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But let's not forget that Jesus also said we're to love our enemies. The truth is anybody can love anyone who is being loving and responsive to them. The real challenge comes when we come up against those who are unlovely. Now, did you notice I deliberately didn't say who are unlovable because there's no one who is unlovable. If in fact I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then I can love anyone. In the same way that there's no such thing or no such place as a God, oh, that's a God-forsaken place. It doesn't exist. For there's no place anywhere on this celestial ball that we know is earth. There's not a square centimeter of it that is forsaken by God, right? He died to, to, to redeem it all. And so there are those people who are unlovely. There are those people who are difficult. There are those people who great on us, who antagonize us, even who persecute us. And Jesus gave us a clear directive to this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 44. He said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that persecute you, and forgive them that despitefully use you. We're to be an example of the believer in love. Probably one of the most poignant examples and illustrations of this matter of fact right now is just looking at the, the family of Saeed Abendini. Saeed, of course, is in, Irani is in an Iranian prison and it's, it's, it's very possible. We need to pray for the Lord's protection for Saeed right now more than ever because within the last few hours... Uh, the United States military has just bombed uh, some of the ISIS um, activities there in Iraq, mostly in the north. Uh, but if you remember, there was a prayer request sent out by Saeed's family recently 
that ISIS had, had come right to the prison where he was being held. And, and so the thing that's amazing about this is those few times that word has come out from Saeed through a family member or someone else who's had contact with him, and, and he's just talking about the fact that he continued to pray for him, but pray for his captors, pray for his torturers. He's, he's, by the grace of God and by the power and unction of the Holy Spirit, he's being Jesus to these men. And it was told by uh, his sister Zizi, who I had the privilege of teaching at the Bible College in New York, England, a couple of semesters back. Zizi said that one of his captors at one point had said to him very quietly off to the side that when he, when he finally went through this and, and made it out of it, that he, this one of his torturers, would like to sit down and have tea with him to find out more about his Jesus. Could there be a clearer example than that of loving your enemies, blessing those that cursed you, doing good to those that hate you, praying for them that persecute you, forgiving them that despitefully use you, following the example of Jesus? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or Stephen, when he was martyred, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge or to their account. That's being an example of the believer in love. Not only to the good and to the gentle, 1 Peter 2.18, but also, the King James says, to the froward, to the perverse, to the bent, to the crooked, to the unreasonable. 1 Peter 4.8 declares, and above all else. Now, to appreciate the above all else, you need to see what precedes it. And it says this, it says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore. Now, I don't know, do you, like me, believe that the end of all things, as we know them, do you believe that the end of all things is at hand? I believe that. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be sober and watch and pray. So be sober-minded, be watching in a vigilant attitude of, of watchfulness, looking for the Lord, and pray. And above all else, the thought continues, the next verse, 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all else, have fervent love among yourselves. For love will cover the multitude of sins. And right now, I'm talking about not the sins of the torturers that are, are torturing Saeed and other believers who are being persecuted to the point of death for their faith. I'm not talking about those individuals necessarily. I'm talking about the people who just irritate you. And, and you, you know, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you and, and they irritate you and, and, and they, perhaps they know they irritate you and they may not even see, you know what, would you forgive me? And we, we say, um, yeah, I forgive you. But we don't mean it. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I forgive you. Okay, I forgive you. But just go away and never talk to me again is the attitude. No, forgiving those who have wronged you, those who have offended you, those who have slandered you, and doing it from the heart. You see, that is a true example of love in action. That's a testimony of grace. To be an example of the believer in word and lifestyle and love how about this one? To be an example of 
the believer in spirit. When we say a person has spirit, what do we mean? And by the way, I'm actually asking you that question. I'm not about to make a statement. If, if, if we say that person has spirit, what do we mean? Well, yeah, now as a believer, you say, oh, they got, they got the spirit. Yeah, they got the Holy Ghost. But if we say just a person has spirit, we, we, we yeah, that's right. They've got, they've got spunk, right? They've got fire. Uh, they're enthusiastic. They're dedicated. They have heart. Would you agree? Okay, now here's the interesting thing about that word enthusiasm. Our English word enthusiasm is, is derived from two Greek wor root words, entheos, entheos, full of God. You see, the enthusiastic person was and ought to be the person who is so filled up with the fullness of God in Christ that he couldn't help but be contagious. Jesus spoke of the abundant life, something that's full, something that's alive. We're to be an example of the believer in spirit. Uh, the Bible says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Or, or how about this? Uh, Psalm 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, or oh, how happy is the man who trusts in him. The point is, if your relationship with the Lord is sour or heavy or burdensome, repent and do the first works. In other words, look back and remember the joy of his salvation. The Christianity that, that some of us model is so heavy and it's so burdensome. Oh, I'm just serving the Lord, praying for the rapture. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Listen, a non-believer looks at that and says, if that's following Jesus, I can be miserable like that all by myself. If that's what it means to follow Jesus. But that's not what it means to follow Jesus. The, the fact is to follow Jesus in, even in the face of great difficulty. I may not necessarily be happy about my surroundings. But I can be joyous in the Lord, right? Because the Lord is my strength and my song. And he's, he's become my salvation. People in the world have enough burdens. And they're looking for joy and, and for peace. And the only place they're going to find it is in a personal relationship with God, our Father in heaven, by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we're called to be an example of the believer in spirit, to be contagiously enthusiastic about the Lord and the things of the Lord. You know, it's been said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yeah, but you can salt his oats and make him thirsty. What would you rather eat? Something that's bland or something that's been seasoned to perfection? Yeah. You see, something that's seasoned just right, it invites another bite, right? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If someone asked you, oh, tell me, uh, I've never had an orange. What does an orange taste like? What would you say, Rich? What does an orange taste like? 
<laughs> yeah. No, we'd say it's sweet. It's got some pulp. And it was sweet. Well, like candy. No, 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 I like candy. Um, it's got pulp. Well, um, like a lemon? No, no, a lemon sour. I mean, finally, we'd say, here, just take a bite of an orange and see for yourself. It's, it, there's no other way you can explain it, right? Taste and see. It's the same way with Jesus. And your lives ought to be so contagious that it's inviting others to taste and see. And then fifthly, we're to be an example of the believer in faith. Some translations have it in faithfulness. Simply because we're out of time, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. We're not to live our lives as Christians. We're not to live our lives according to the things that we see, nor according to the things that we can perceive or understand with our natural senses or our natural intellect, but rather we're to live our lives by exercising faith in the plans of God and in the promises of God as they're revealed to us by the Spirit from His Word, right? Let me say that our lack of faith our failure to trust the Lord and to trust his promises calls his faithfulness into question. When I fail to trust the Lord, when I fail to believe his promises, then I'm calling his trustworthiness into question. And you know what he is, isn't he? He's worthy of our trust. He's proven himself to us over and over and over, and he certainly has for me in my life, over and over and over again. So I'm to be an example of the believer in faith, walking by faith, in obedience to God's word, trusting his promises. I'm to live a life of faithfulness, faithful to God as a Christian, faithful to my marriage vows, faithful to my responsibilities as a parent, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a co-worker, as an employer or an employee, whatever the case would be, and so on and on. I'm to be an example of the believer in faith, living faithfully. And finally, I'm to be an example of the believer in purity. And because we're completely out of time, we'll have to stop here. But, but think about this purity. We live in a day and, and an age where people are really obsessed with uh, purity. Pure air, pure water, pure food. Eat naturally. Strictly organic, no chemicals, no preservatives, no GMOs, gluten-free. Yeah, too bad we didn't have the same concern for moral purity. So many people today are on a crusade to purify our environment. And by the way, I recycle. Now, I don't, I don't drive a hybrid. I drive a turbo, okay? Uh, but th the point is, and the scripture is clear about this. God wants us to steward his creation in a way that would bless others and, and give him glory. So I'm not in any way making light of those people who are concerned about our environment and preserving our natural resources. But many of these same people who are crusaders in that area are at the same time polluting their lives and corrupting their minds. They protest spraying pesticides on our fruits and vegetables and all the while through the media, through TV and music and, and movies and magazines and so forth, they're waging war against the moral fiber of their souls. Things in the media today have become so violent and so vile. And you were just saying last night at dinner, Rich, that you just happened to pass by 
on the television dial something and you watched it just for, for a very short period of time and, 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 and you said these, these people were, they were, they were, so, they were su supposed to be entertaining people at a benefit and they were so rude and they were so repugnant and they were so off color. And, and he got that in just in this, this much time. And he just, he realized, oh man, I feel like I need to go take a shower after just a short bit of this. And, and this is the culture that we live in today. And you know what? People are looking for a breath of fresh air. That's why movies that are wholesome do so well at the box office. Really. People are looking for a breath of fresh air. And you and I, as Christians, we can be that breath of fresh air by being an example of the believer in purity. We mustn't be like so many carnal Christians today who are asking, how far can I go before I walk right out of fellowship with the Lord? Hey, if you're asking that question, you've already walked too far. The question ought to be not how far can I go, but how close can I get? How near can I be to the things of God? How purely can I live? How godly can I be? We need to fill the hole in our holiness. There's a book that's out right now written by Pastor Kevin DeYoung. It's simply called The Hole in Our Holiness. And it just talks about the challenge that we have today as Christians in our contemporary society living pure lives, living lives that remain unspotted by the world. Uh, it's a difficult task for sure, but it can be done. And, and uh, in the end, we're to be an example. We're out of time, so I'll just say this. We're to be an example of the believer in the way that we speak, in the priorities that we establish for our lives, an example in our love and in our forgiveness, an example in spirit, being so filled up with the fullness of God in Christ that we're contagious. An example in steadfastness and obedience. Those that live pure and holy lives. And we do it, verse 13 tells us, by spending time with God in his word. Giving attendance to reading, to exhortation. Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy 2.15. Oh, I love thy law. It is my meditation all day long. So we're to take in the word and then notice we're to give it out. We're to work it out through the gifts that God has given to us. Verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the laying on of the hands of the elders. So we must be a good steward of our spiritual gifts and there must be intake and there must be outlet. It's as simple as that. We're to minister we're to give out, help out, reach out. To be a touch point for Jesus. To be an encouragement. Doing all that we can do, using the gifts that, that God has given to us. The natural talents and abilities that God has given us to help others. To be a blessing to them, uh, to provide betterment for their lives and, and all for the glory of God. And in doing so, we're going to reap an abundant reward. Be not weary in well-doing, Galatians 6, 9 says, for in due time you shall reap the reward if you faint not. Keep things stirred up. Keep the fire burning. Do you want to be an example of the believer 
in this way? Do you want to be an example of the believer, an example that just gets by or to live a life that's just adequate? Or honestly, do you want, are you seeking greatness as a believer? Are you striving to be a great husband or a great wife or a great parent or a great neighbor or a great employee or a great friend? Do you want to live a great Christian life from this moment until you're face to face with the Lord? Then, as Paul said to Timothy, give thyself wholly to it. Give yourself over to it that you're profiting, that your spiritual growth and maturity might appear to all. Practice the word that you might progress in the word that in the end you would be an example of the word. An example of the believer in your speech, in your lifestyle, in your love, by your spirit, in faithfulness and in purity. To be confident enough in your own walk and relationship with the Lord uh, that you could echo with confidence, you could echo the words of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4 and verse 9. That you could say, as Paul said, the thing that you've learned and seen and heard and received of me. Practice these things. Do as I do. Give as I give and serve as I serve. Love as I love. Forgive as I forgive. Do as I do and the God of peace will be with you. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me and my lifestyle, my life will lead you right to the feet of Jesus. Amen? Okay, sorry for keeping you so long. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the opportunity to look into your word uh, this day and now it's this afternoon. Uh, Lord, I've been a bit verbose this morning, but I pray that, that by your spirit, trusting, Lord, that by your spirit, you've, you've blessed and encouraged as well as challenged uh, your people this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to share these things. And Lord, now may we go with a song in our heart, with a spring in our step, with purpose for our lives, Lord. Uh, may we, as we read a moment ago, may we give ourselves wholly and entirely over to this pursuit of being an example of the believer in love, in lifestyle, in conversation, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. That's our prayer, Lord. Hear us as we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name for his sake and for his great glory. Amen.